How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You need stars to win in this league. When we won, we had Amare and Steve. So they've done a good job drafting Devin Booker. That's their next star, and I've seen him. He has a work ethic and a talent for that. Now, they've had two top 10 picks, but they have to hit on at least one of them. If you find another star to put next to Devin, then it's easy to find role players. You can find role players everywhere, but you can't find stars everywhere. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Fantrax and Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and as always you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. We are back today for another of the season preview podcast and today's season preview podcast is also brought to you by SeatGeek. So download the mobile app for the easiest way to buy tickets and use the promo code LOFANTASY and that gives you a $20 rebate on your first purchase. We're going to be looking at the Phoenix Suns today. So to help me discuss the Phoenix Suns, I am joined by the host of the Locked On Suns podcast, Callan Olson. Callan, welcome. Thanks for having me, Josh. Very excited to be a part of the family. It's uh, Now, as of recording this podcast, have you had your first Locked On Suns episode yet? We actually haven't, no. I'm hosting the podcast with Eddie House, the former NBA player, and uh, we're working a couple of things out this week, but we will be launching sometime this week. Yeah, uh, You can follow the follow the podcast at LockedOnPHXSuns on Twitter, and we'll let you know there when we get going. I thought it was coming out this week, so I, was, I wasn't sure if you'd done the first one yet, but everyone who's a, a Phoenix fan and wants information on this team, obviously Locked On Suns is going to be the place where you're going to be able to get that information now, Callan, before we before we get into talking about the Phoenix Suns here, I, I need to ask you a question. And I don't know if you're going to have much. You're probably not going to have any information. This is a question without notice. How much do you know about Australian football, Callan? <laughs> I actually don't know a lot. I'm a huge European soccer fan, believe okay. it or not. So that's probably like a step or two further than most people you have on. But <laughs> you, don't you know, know much about Aussies. You'd be surprised at how, how many of the people I've had on who have been big European uh, soccer fans. It, it's been a, a lot of people who we've had that discussion with on, on, the, on the podcast from the rest of the Locked On Network. But the reason I ask you, Callan, and this is totally self-indulgent for me, is that the, the Australian Football Grand Final, which is the equivalent of our Super Bowl, is on this weekend. My team is playing in that grand final. We have not oh, we, have, we have not been to this game in 55 years. We have, in in 92 years of existence, we have made the grand final twice. Twice. So Sounds like the Suns. It's yeah, it, very similar. <laughs> Look, you know how you had all that big string of losing uh, conference finals? We've lost our we lost our last seven conference final uh, equivalents in a row. And on, sat- on Saturday night, we won. So it was a pretty jubilant house here. I'm pretty excited this week. We've got a few days left until I get to see the Bulldogs take on uh, the Swans in the AFL Grand Final. And I just want to get all of Phoenix support for the Bulldogs. I want to get I want to get 
the Bulldogs trending in America. I want to get that to be America's team as well. They're red, white, and blue, so you should be you should be right behind them, Callan. They're my team, so done. That's you got me already. So I'll just go out and recruit the rest of the country. Shouldn't be too hard. Yeah, there's, there's not many of you over there to try and get on board. That's all we need <laughs> no. to do. We've got we've got most of Australia behind us at the moment. We're looking to break a 62 year title drought here, and uh, I'm pretty pumped. I just wanted to get that out there. And I reckon I'm going to do it every podcast I record this week, just because um I'm I'm beyond excited, and I just wanted to get that out there. But now we're going to talk Phoenix Suns. Callan, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this team who was a disappointment last season. I don't think there's any any two ways about that, but there were some uh, silver linings in the clouds, I guess, in Phoenix. Let's start with probably the number one of those silver linings, and that's Devin Booker. He was widely lauded around the league, and you heard that quote at the start from Jared Dudley talking about Booker. Kobe spoke about him. LeBron spoke about him you know, through last season and through the off season. And he he was tremendous to end the season. He averaging 19 points post-All-Star break. But we come in this year, and he did a lot of that without Eric Bledsoe next to him, or all of that without Eric Bledsoe next to him. He did a lot of it without Brandon Knight next to him. What do we expect from Devin Booker this season with two guards who are going to have the ball in their hands a lot you know, coming back? What what sort of role you know, are we I know we had Suns Media Day today, and not a lot was really clarified, but what sort of role do you expect Booker to have in terms of will he start next to Bledsoe? You know, where will how will he and Knight work together? What are you expecting from Devin Booker? Well, starting off with his initial play, I think you can relate to this uh, with your AFL team a bit. Suns fans have a tendency to when something good is going for them, they tend to take a second to look around and go, "Wait, it can't be this good, can exactly, it?" And exactly. everyone, everyone kind of did that this summer with Booker. Everyone was like, "Well, let's slow down. He's not like the next great savior of the Suns, the face of the franchise, or whatever." And it actually feels that way a little bit, and I actually did a little bit of second-guessing myself and then wrote about it and kind of profiled how good he really was. Now, his role on the team is different because everyone around the team that follows the team agrees that he was probably the best player on the team last year because obviously Bledsoe was out for half the season. Knight missed a, lot of, missed a few games, but he wasn't that good last year, and everyone thinks Booker should start, but... There's no sentiment of that yet today. Watson and McDonough both said it's going to be something that they look at leading into training camp. Um, Knight has been, hasn't been vocal about a bench role negatively or positively. He's just avoided questions on it really. And then Booker obviously being the young guy, isn't going to be the type of guy to say no to a bench role because the, the veteran um, seniority and all that. But it, as far as fantasy goes, I would try and avoid this situation for now for for Bledsoe and Knight unless you're looking for like a buy low type deal like say they fall a couple of rounds lower than they typically would in a draft or value for auction or whatever um yeah I would I would look to buy low on both of them just because we don't know what who's going to be the starter right now yeah, well, regardless to me if whether they start, I think that they all are going to be getting 30-plus minutes. Bledsoe, that's a, that's a guarantee. Yeah. And I imagine Booker and, and Knight would do it. But the, the thing about, and and with Knight and Bledsoe, I think they both will actually come in undervalued. And I think you know, Bledsoe's injury history bumps him down two rounds already. So he's a top 20 player that you can potentially get in the 40s, and, and that's a good deal. Knight is a guy that, depending on how you're looking with your team, you might need a guy who gets you six assists and 18 points or 17 points, and he might be available in the 70s or even 80s, and that's value. The problem to me is Booker might be overvalued. Now, after the All-Star break last season, Callan, he was outside the top 100, despite him being a guy that averaged 19 points in that time. 
He shot only forty percent on 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 seventeen attempts. He only hit twenty nine percent of his threes in that time. And some of that can be attributed by what you said. He was the best player, so all the attention came towards him. And that won't be the case this year. So we can imagine that his percentages are going to increase. I don't think there's any doubt in that. But the thing that concerns me about him is that he averaged four point one assists per game after the All Star break last season. Bledsoe and Knight come back. He's just not going to have the ball in his hands as often, is he? He also hasn't been much of a rebounder necessarily. Exactly, so if yep. you're looking at a pure fantasy value, it, it's obviously important. I haven't played in a couple of years, but it's obviously important to get guys who can do a lot in a lot of different categories. And I feel like you're probably going to get definitely more value out of Bledsoe as an overall player, but probably with Knight too, because Knight does give you the assist. He actually does rebound at a decent rate. I believe uh, better than better than Booker. Uh, Booker at least. And even if there's bonuses for like, if you're looking at just like three pointers made Knight shoots a lot of threes as well. Like Booker's going to hit more. He hits more than well, yeah. Booker only hit one and a half a game in that stretch mm. when he was playing 35. And he comes yeah. in as the reputation of being a three point sharpshooter. And he just wasn't last season. He just was not, he missed a lot of shots, which probably should have gone in that could easily increase, but he wasn't out there bombing two and a half threes in a game. Like he just, he wasn't doing that. He was scoring it in lots of other different ways. And I just don't see how the 4.1 assists you know, happen again with these other two guys on the court. So you know, Booker's at a risk to me of getting overdrafted this season just because of those factors. And he provides nothing steal-wise either. He only averaged 0.6 steals in 35 minutes, which is a ridiculously low number for a guy that's playing as as a guard who's guarding ones and, and twos as Booker was in that stretch. To only get 0.6 steals is a, is a comically low number. We talk about guys mm-hmm. like Dame Lillard who don't get many steals, and he's at like 0.8, and Booker's further below that. So it's it's almost center territory number of steals, and that's that's a concern. That drops his number. So people might start reaching for him in the 70s, and, and I just don't – maybe at some point he gets there in the next couple of years, but based on what we've seen and the way that the situation you know, pretends to play out this season, I can't see him having 35 minutes a night and taking every shot Actually, of the team. I actually have a question for you. It's sure. kind of interesting to look at his, even if you're talking in like a keeper sense, which I'm sure a lot yep. of people will be asking with a guy as young as Booker. If you look at a guy like Oladipo, for example, for um, Oklahoma City now, that's a guy that's going to get more in the box score. Now, I think it's I, it's actually a debate, but I think for me personally, I would rate Booker higher for the future. But I'm not sure as like a fantasy option because Booker is probably going to average like 20 plus points a game a lot throughout his career. But Oladipo is the guy who's going to rack up steals. He's going to get you a few blocks. He's going to do a lot of exactly. a lot of the little things on the court. Whereas Booker, like you said, doesn't really do that. That doesn't mean he's the worst player. But we're talking fantasy right now. We're not talking regular basketball. So exactly that. And that's that's the difference. Now, Oladipo is a guy that can probably average twenty points himself. But he'll get you five rebounds. He'll get you five oh, yeah. assists. He'll get you two steals. He'll get you a block. He, he shot forty-seven or forty-eight percent after the All Star break last season. And obviously, there's a, an age and experience difference, but it's a significant uh, a, a significant difference from forty to forty-eight percent, which is that difference between Oladipo and Booker. So I, I'm with you. I think Oladipo is you know, potentially going to be a top fifteen player in fantasy this season for what he's able to do. So Booker, great on the court, great for the Suns' future. But in fantasy, I feel that he's going to be potentially overrated by a lot of people. And look, it doesn't matter really if he comes off the bench or not. Regardless, there's going to be some sort of a cap on his minutes just by the presence of those other two guys. They're not going to say, we're only keeping you to this. But 
you know, with only 96 minutes happening between the guard spots unless they run Booker at the three, which I guess they could do with P.J. Tucker out. That's, that's a possibility, but he's not. They did mention that today, but, okay. I mean, Zach Lowe quote tweeted, Paul Coral tweeted that and said, like, that's a horrible decision defensively. That's oh, basically what he said. Booker that's... would get destroyed out on the wing. Like yeah. he's, he's thin as it is. He's not that tall, and his defense is already not good guarding the twos. Imagine him matching up against Durant or LeBron. And that's where it's Knight a nightmare. helping at the two, oh, which yeah. isn't necessarily the best thing to have either so it, it'd be an absolute nightmare and then and then at the four you've got Dudley you know, coming across like this mm-hmm. yeah, Dudley's a decent defender but LeBron Giannis Durant like the Kawhi Leonard like they any small forward that's like at least six eight would give him a ton of trouble it would be a, it would be a nightmare now before yeah. we get into the next question Callan I've got to tell you a bit about SeatGeek Football is back, and SeatGeek is the smartest and easiest way to find tickets for the games that you want to see up close and in person this season. There's nothing like being in the stadium for the biggest plays of the season, and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the seats you want for a great value. SeatGeek has the best deals on every ticket in the house, wherever you want to sit, whether that's the 50-yard line, the club seats, or the upper level. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way to shop for tickets. You can search any event you want. If you want to look at the upcoming Phoenix Suns, preseason games which start next week I believe Callan which is pretty exciting you can go on SeatGeek and you can find those tickets you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites the prices can vary depending on where you shop but with SeatGeek you always find the lowest available price and SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck that's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on the value you'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget Every ticket you buy as well is backed by their 100% guarantee. And best of all, all listeners to this podcast, you get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. To get that $20 rebate, you download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and enter the promo code LOFANTASY. SeatGeek will then send you $20 back after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code LOFANTASY today. All right, power forward. Opening night, who starts? Uh, that is complicated by Tucker having coming off surgery, yep. and he he's maybe going to miss opening day. So my guess is it's still going to be Dudley, but something like Dudley at the three and then Bender at the four wouldn't shock me just because TJ's defensive issues and there is a legitimate debate as to whether Bender or Warren is the better defender right now. And they're definitely preaching defense. So uh, I could see that, but Dudley is the obvious answer. I'm glad you mentioned Bender because it gives me an opportunity to play this. Bite my shiny metal ass. And every time that I mention Bender on this podcast, I need to play the uh, Bender equivalent sound drop. But <laughs> I, I, people are very down on Bender um, after Summer really? League. After Summer League. I, oh, okay. I, yeah. And maybe that's because I was you know, self-sabotaging myself and reading the Bleacher Report comment section and reading Facebook comment section. And that is just, a, it's a surefire way to, to fry your brain, really, and just mm-hmm. scream at a computer. But well, he's a bust. He's terrible. He's going to be Banyani because every white, tall European has to be Banyani. Um, he, he can't defend. He, he can't do anything. And, I, and I'm just like, I think that he was the third best player in this draft class and wouldn't be surprised if he was the second best player in this draft class. I think that he... I don't know if I don't he probably won't start opening night, but to me he is by far the, the best option to get minutes out of the two rookies between him and Chris. What I saw from Bender in summer league, his shots didn't go down, but 
His shot looks fine. Like it, it looks good. His passing is tremendous. His positioning is really good. He's one step ahead of everything he thinks about. His feet and his movement is is really, really good. His ability to move and transition is good. And I think that the Suns really have a future star in Bender. But I feel like I'm alone on that. Maybe you're with me. No, I'm with you, actually. That's very weird that you say that because the basis of Suns Twitter, which is like a large group of us uh, on Twitter, obviously, were pretty much thinking that they were going to take Chris at four instead of Bender. And we were very terrified Ooh, of yeah, this because <laughs> we were we were all like you saying Bender is like, without a doubt, the third or fourth best player in this draft class. And like anything beyond that is just hogwash. And yep. Man, they they scared us, but they wound up taking Bender. Everything they said made it seem like they were going to take Chris, but they took Bender. I was at those summer league games in Las Vegas watching him, and I agree with everything you said. His shot looked absolutely fine. It's just a guy adjusting to the length of the three-point line, I think, in my opinion, his bad shooting numbers. Defensively, I think he looked great. One of his biggest strength for me is his lateral quickness as a seven-footer, being able to slide and move, and that's why today the Suns actually he actually mentioned that he hasn't even played any center at all in their training camp, uh, little scrimmages or whatever they've been doing so far. He's only been playing the three and the four. Yeah, he's not and, a center. Yeah, as a fantasy option, um, some of us actually thought that he could play center as like a rim protector just because of his length and his size. But as a fantasy option, it's good to hear that he's going to be at more at the three and the four because his playmaking opens up a ton. Um, it placed all of his strengths. His big strengths were his lateral quickness, quickness, which I said um, I was getting to that it looked great. Uh, he was sliding, moving along, doing everything right. The only thing he did wrong was contesting shots at the rim, and that's what he's going to be doing as either the weak side defender or as a center, and it's only going to be as a weak side defender for now because uh, we heard he's not playing center. But his passing is something everyone talked about before the draft, and that's going to open up a lot more at the three and the four. And then his shooting. So I think everything you could want out of him as a fantasy option right away is going to open up with where the Suns see him at on the floor. And I agree that he's the guy that's far more ready for minutes over Chris. I think once people get the notion out of their head that the European is the most raw guy, Chris is by far the most raw oh, of the two, in my easily. opinion. By, by substantial margin, I think you are one of those people. I say anyone who watched Chris for more than like 100 minutes in college saw how raw he was defensively so uh yeah i'm i would really look to bender if you're looking to like reach on a guy possibly in like a keeper situation dynasty whatever bender's a guy i would really look at for sure oh, in, a, in a dynasty rookie only situation he's a top four um, rookie there's no doubt to oh, me yeah. um yeah. I, I would probably even take him at number three yeah him and chris dunn they're the two guys i would take there i know i honestly when i say this i think that he could be the second best rookie out of this class i'm, I'm not I'm not joking with him. Um, when you see the the movement from him, look, comparing being there and watching those guys in summer league, when you saw Bender and when you saw Chris, the, the thing that stood out to me is that Bender just looked like he knew where he was going at all times, whereas Chris, it looked like he'd catch the ball and then his brain would go, "Okay, what do I do now?" And it looked it looked it looked like you could watch him thinking when Chris had the mm-hmm. ball, like he'd think. Where do I go? Whereas Bender was always one step ahead of his teammates. He was one step ahead of the defenders. He's always in the right position. And if the shots had fallen, he would have been one of the most, most dominant players there because he was just always in the right spot offensively and making the right move. Whereas Chris would get it and he'd be like, uh, um, can I jump over this guy? Cool. Let's try that. And he that, looked, that was his move. He looked great when everything was a straight line. Yep. Like He had this awesome spin move dunk and everyone went, whoa, yeah. he has post moves. And it's like, 
Not not really. He just he practices that spin move a lot probably, and it opened up for him in the game. Anytime he had to like make a sudden turn, left or turn right. I'm sticking to the road metaphor here. Uh, anytime he should have passed instead of shot. Anytime like I remember there was a pick and roll where he got the ball on the elbow and took it, bounced it on the floor, which is a lot of people actually think he has perimeter skills to a certain extent. And he took the dribble and he should have attacked the rim, but he tried to force a pass to the big. And it's just like, like you said, getting past step one is very tough for him right now. That's something that'll get better with time, obviously, but I don't really see him as a viable fantasy option right now. And even as a dynasty type pick we were talking about earlier, he's further down than probably guys drafted later than him. Like someone like Patrick McCall off the top of my head is just a guy taken late that you could get more value on. There's a number of guys that I consider before him that were taken after him. Denzel Valentine, McCaw, Zubac, um, Wade, mm-hmm. Wade Baldwin. Um, yeah. I'd take Juan Hernan Gomez even potentially ahead of him. There's a bunch of guys in that spot that I would take above Chris. Um, I don't expect either of them to start on opening night. I think that Dudley goes there, but the, the Tucker injury is interesting. Now, I want to go back to your thoughts on Warren. You said you're not sure whether he will move into that starting spot because of concerns of his defense. Now, he's had injury problems of his own. He ended last season with a fractured foot. Apparently, he's ready to go now. What Do you think that the Suns are sharing that same concern with Warren's defensive side? I'm not sure necessarily, and the only reason I said that is just in terms of him starting. Yep. Uh, when we talk about overall minutes, I think he would play more than Bender in that situation, but it's just about the presence you want to set. Like A guy like Thabo Cephalosha for years, for example, started a ton of games because of his defense, but winded up only playing 18, 24 minutes. That's the kind of thing I was talking about for... For Warren, he can score. He can score really, really well. He can. He, he actually did show that he could hit corner threes and things like that when he was healthy last year. And then, of course, he got hurt. So we never got to see the full development of it. But we haven't seen the the growth defensively at all. We've seen it with him and we've seen it with Archie Goodwin where the stuff that they were really, really good at coming out of college, they're still really good at. But the other elements of their game, more specifically Archie, haven't grown. TJ starting to show a little bit more of a three-point shot. He, he's a guy to get a tough read on. You need to see him this year and see what he's gotten better at but uh as a pure scorer and a guy i'm not sure how do you know what his rebounding numbers are he Um, he averaged uh, 4.9 per 36 last season yeah so they're they're not too great but i know that one thing you're going to get with tj is efficiency Uh, there was a stat i dug up either last year or the year before where he was like one of two or three guys to play an x amount of minutes and shoot over i think it was either 50 or 60 percent as a perimeter player yeah that sounds about uh, right oh he, he shot 50 yeah. percent like he's, he's an extraordinarily high um efficiency scorer in terms of his ability to, to cut to the rim um he's one of the best in the business at, at getting in and cutting and finishing in that sense but the three pointers is something that is interesting he he took one and a half a game last year and hit them at 40 percent after hitting just 24 the season before he took his attempts up and obviously his conversion went up. And if that sticks, then that obviously adds an extra part to his game. And that's something I guess we'll be looking to see. He's someone I don't mind taking as that last pick in a fantasy situation because of that Tucker injury. Maybe he plays 30 minutes for a month. Maybe he gives you 15 points at 50%. Maybe he gives you a three a game and a steal a game. But the other area, the assists are always going to be low. He's not blocking shots. His rebounding is low. So he does have limitations there. But high efficiency scoring with potentially a three and a steal, it can be useful at the end of a draft. And if it doesn't work out well, who cares you wasted your last pick and grabbed someone else it's not that big of a deal but i do yeah, think he's would, an interesting guy to start 
One thing I would add is that there is a decent chance of Tucker getting moved. It's the last year of his contract. He is a veteran wing, and you saw it at the trade deadline last year. Teams were desperate for a guy like P.J., yep. and when Milwaukee had Middleton go down, I was like, oh, P.J., that's that's the great fit for yeah. in terms of like a playoff caliber player on the wing. They got Michael Beasley instead, so everyone makes their own life choices, I guess, and P.J. <laughs> is dealing with an injury right now. But uh, he's definitely a guy that I could look to I guess, I don't know, would that mean for both of them it's a good thing because P.J. would be moving into a play. I guess playoff minutes don't really matter in fantasy, but yeah. for T.J., that's a guy that could be starting towards the second half of the year. Some people think he, he could actually start over P.J. regardless of if he's here or not. Well, we thought that uh, last I'm, season even before before yeah. he got injured because Tucker started last season horribly. Like He was disgusting to start last season, P.J. Tucker, mm-hmm. and it was just yeah, a huge groundswell. Let's get Warren in there. Let's get Warren in there. Then he started to play a few good games, and then he got hurt, and obviously Tucker came back in and started to play a lot better as the season ended. So I think that I think that Warren's going to be playing more minutes definitely than last season, and he is a decent sort of flyer option to look at at the end of a draft. Yeah. Um, well, that covers our, our first three questions. Callan, we uh, went through all of that. Let's look at the NBA draft now. We talked about Bender. We talked about Chris. We talked about what they're going to provide this season, but what about Tyler Eulis? who the, the Suns got with the uh, the fourth pick in the second round. And when I spoke with um, Fox Sports Australia's uh, NBA lead writer, Olgan Ulich, we were talking about Tyler Ulis a lot, and Ulis a lot, and he said that Ulis is the best player. He was the best player at Summer League, just as in terms of an actual player, but his ability to have an impact in the NBA is going to be reduced, obviously, by his size. But... He's still going to be an effective backup for 10-plus years is what, is what I feel. Are you excited to get a guy like that in, into the team? Oh, 100%. If you're, you're talking to the wrong guy if you want like modest expectations on Tyler Eulis. <laughs> okay. I think he's going to be phenomenal. That's a guy like pre-draft I had ranked in my top 15 just because at a certain point you have to cross out his size and just look at him as a basketball player. And I, I think he's tremendous if you're looking for a guy who can read the floor, be a floor general. Every move he makes, I'm sure you see this when you watch his film from Kentucky, every dribble has a purpose. Uh, He changes speeds so well, but he creates so many more looks for his teammates and for himself just by maximizing his angles, and that's something that he showed in Summer League. Terrific passer, reads the game so well, and defensively he's just going to be a pest. And If you want to talk about defensive pests, look at his head coach. Earl Watson made a living off that. So that's only going to help him more. And if we're talking about fantasy guys to take like a really big flyer on in terms of like rookies, I love him as a flyer, even for just backup point guard minutes right now, especially if one of those guards, two of them being very injury prone were to go down. I think he could play big minutes and play them really well. And if you're talking about steals, assists and points, he could contribute in a lot of ways for your team, I think. Yeah, and we hear the rumors about a Brandon Knight or Eric Bledsoe trade all the time. And one of those guys Mm -hmm. moves, then... He's into a backup point guard role, and he's into maybe 20 minutes a night yeah, and playing alongside Bledsoe as Bledsoe moves to the two in some situations where they go smaller in that because yeah, Bledsoe can, can obviously guard twos as well. So Euless is a guy who, who is yeah, just tremendously smart, IQs off the charts, makes everybody better around him. <clears throat> and look, he might not ever have a top 100 season, but in a, a deeper dynasty format, I feel like he's just going to be at that 18 to 24 minute mark for 10 years or so and he'll get you four or four and a half assists and maybe score you 10 points and that can be useful in that range between 150 and 200 so yeah he his value belies his 34th pick in the draft he should definitely go higher than that in a dynasty only rookie situation 
just because he's a point guard and he's one of the better point guards in this draft. And I'm glad you share the same optimism that I have with him. I'm, I'm not worried about uh, the height. It, it, it remind, brings me back to the Australian football Callum, because we have a, a yeah. player on our team, um, Caleb Daniel, who is the shortest player in the entire league and finished second in the Rookie of the Year this season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then in the in the playoffs, in the first game, he was the best player on the entire field, and he's been tremendous. And it just shows that height is not... In basketball, your height's big, but whatever. <laughs> if you're good, you're good. Yeah, you... you- Euless weighs 150. He could weigh He's 90 tiny. pounds. I don't care. That kid can ball. Yep. If you're good, you're good. And yeah, you know what? He might yep. take a bit of a beating at some point, but at some point, the beating from big, strong people, it's not going to matter when the ball's zipping out of his hands to someone that's wide open as they're trying to, you know, quote, make him pay for going in. Like, that's cool. He mm-hmm. might he might cop it, but then when you're just nailing open, open threes, then the other coach is going to go, Stop targeting the little guy and actually do what you're supposed to do. And, and that's a lot of the thing. People get, well, look at this kid. Look how small he is. I've covered him easily. And then they make, they're made to look like dickheads as they're sitting on the ground and he's just scored over them. So huge hope for him. Talent like that. I said, if he was in a body that was 6'2, he would have been a top five pick, I would guess. Yeah, he, I, I would good. say if, if he had Eric Bledsoe's body, he's the number one pick in the draft. Yep. Like uh, that's-, that's not crazy to say at all. Like, this is how good this kid is. So, Really excited to see how it works out for him. When a trade happens, which it appears likely at some point in the next year or so that one of these guys, Bledsoe or Knight, will go, then he moves into a bigger role. And then an injury strikes one of these players as well, bigger role again. He's going to be really, really fun to watch. So excited to see how that uh, how that works out for, for Tyler Eulis. Now, in free agency, Jared Dudley returns to Phoenix. Everybody loves Jared Dudley. He's uh, a, a really... He's a really solid player. He knows his role. He knows what he is. And that's I think that can't be understated as well. He comes in, he'll likely be the starting power forward, but he knows it's not going to be long-term. He knows he's not going to be having it for even the rest of this season. I imagine that, you know, assuming that they don't move him back to the three, that he will be starting until around January. And in deeper leagues, that can be useful. Even in standard leagues, if he's getting 29 minutes a game for the first two or three months of the season, it might be worth a late pick for a guy that can hit a three a game and do it really efficiently, like on 48 to 50% shooting. That's what he can do. Solid rebounder, get some steals. He's really key to help this team develop, isn't he? Yeah, uh, a minor thing I want to mention that's actually quite relevant when we're talking about fantasy especially is that this is a team last year that had Mirza Toledovic and John Luer at power forward yep. pretty much at all times on the floor. So guys that played with uh, those players like Bledsoe, like those other guys, they are used to finding that power forward in the corner or on the wing or whatever at the top of the key for an open three, and that's what Dudley's g- going to look to make his money on uh, this year. And I feel that he is a guy that the Suns are going to depend on, but in very short um, sprints, if you will, with just he's going to need to hit his open shots, needs to lead them on defense uh, through his play and just continue to bring energy like P.J. Tucker does as well. Uh, And he's just overall a great addition for the team. How does Leandro Barbosa fit in? That depends on if they think he's a point guard or not, <laughs> because okay. I'm not too sure because he didn't really play point that much in Golden State, mm-hmm. was more of a get-out-and-go uh, guy at, at shooting guard with Sean Livingston or Steph or whoever, like even Ian Clark running the point. And that's not really his role anymore, but the Suns depth chart with Archie Goodwin and John Jenkins and then either Knight or Book, whoever comes off the bench, are pretty full at shooting guard. And then at point guard, of course, they've only got Euless and Bledsoe. So... I think they see him as a point guard, but that's another one where it's even more of like the 
Booker Knight factor where we need to figure out what his role is first before. Um, in terms of coming off the bench, scoring a lot, I don't see that just because whichever shooting guard doesn't start is going to dominate the ball. And when they don't dominate the ball, TJ Warren's going to dominate the ball. So uh, I don't really see his role being that impactful, especially in terms of box scores and fantasy. Yeah, I'm with you. I can't see him getting enough minutes or enough touches to really have any use at all outside of a league that is just ridiculously deep. We've got him outside our top 250. It's a, it's almost, that's not a weird signing because we know that he's had history with this team, but it's more like a, okay, why? Like, where, Felt like a victory loss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like he's just coming in to just be like, I'm back in Phoenix and I'm here and I might help these young guys and I'm sure that's part of what he's doing as well. But in terms of on-court play, he's I, I can't or he's not playing over Bledsoe Knight or Booker. So that at at best puts him as the fourth guard and then Eulis is another option there as well. So it, it's going to be hard for him to see really um, much in that situation. What about your breakout candidate on this team? Hmm... Uh, Okay, this is going to sound crazy, but if everything goes according to plan, Watson really talked about uh, today, he really talked about whoever is going to be the sixth man out of those three guards, the team is really going to embrace him, and that's going to also have to come with the player embracing that role. So if Brandon Knight accepts that role, uh, one of the things I really looked at writing last year was that if you compare his stats right now to guys like J.R. Smith, Monte Ellis, when they were his age, the stats compare favorably well. Jamal Crawford is another one. Um, I think he could be a great sixth man, a great fantasy option too as a breakout candidate and really help this team as well. But if that doesn't happen, which it looks like for now, it's not going to happen in terms of him accepting the role, the team having a smooth transition to it. I do like Bender. We talked about Bender a lot, but the minutes might be there right away. You you want to talk about a guy who could rack up steals, blocks, assists, rebounds, just do a little bit of everything. I think he's a really solid pick. He's a guy that was a top 40 player last season in 36 minutes a night. I think it might be a stretch for him to get back to 36 minutes, but he almost averaged 20 points a game. And after the All-Star break, he hit over three threes a game. So 19 points and 3.3 triples there, almost five assists. He had 0.7 blocks, which is huge for him. He had 0.7 steals, not a huge amount of steals, but he did hurt you there in the field goal percentage at 37%. So if you're willing to punt that category, which you probably should be with Knight, and that should be the way you're looking at it, you're going to get decent scoring. You're going to get some okay assists. You're going to get a lot of three-pointers. Yeah, more three-pointers than what Booker's going to get, as we touched on before. So Brandon Knight, in those rounds between 60 and 85, in, in that sort of an area, round six to eight or that sort of a zone, I think he's a fine pick in that spot to get that sort of scoring, to get the three-pointers, to get secondary ball handling and four to, four to five assists a game with really high free throw percentage. It's hard to go past Knight in that situation. He's put up two top 40 seasons in a row, but... You know, the expectations aren't high for, uh, aren't that high for him this season coming in, and that means you can snag him later. Now, we have got him only projected at about 32 minutes just because of the, the minute sharing that's going to happen, but that might not be the case. They might you know, play him more. We, we don't know exactly how it's going to work out, but I think he's a great pick in those middle to late rounds with significant upside to get back to the top 50 because we've seen him be a top 50 player for the last two seasons, so it's not it's not a huge stretch to go out and say, I think he's going to be top 50 because we've seen it already. And you're not, you're not expecting something that we've never seen before. So I think that's a really good you know, pick. I think that it leaves the Suns backcourt in a, a really nice situation in terms of depth. And if we keep hearing about this, now I don't know where this rumor started from or if it's even been backed up by any reputable sources, but your Rudy Gay for Brandon Knight deal is always seems to be floating around. And if he goes to Sacramento, then you're talking top 30 numbers. And that's that's a huge because they're, obviously their point guard situation is not ideal. 
Have you heard anything concrete about that sort of rumor or is that just a, an internet floated, hey, this maybe makes sense. Let's put it in the trade machine. <laughs> that, yeah, it's the latter. It's the yeah. Kings really <laughs> suck at point guard. Where could Brandon Knight possibly go for a team that needs a point guard? And the Kings are the one that always makes the most sense. And then you're talking about a guy like Rudy who could need another um, change in scenario. But uh, I really agree with you on Knight and especially just imagine him coming off the bench and accepting uh, like the point guard responsibilities. Now you're talking more assists, and then if he gets back to, I don't know if you watched him in Milwaukee or not. He wasn't he was a awesome. terrible defender. No, no, he, he, he was. He was all right there. He was pretty good because, like, I remember talking about them as a duo, Bledsoe and I heading into last season, and I was like, I just think they're going to be really good. Knight's a pretty solid defender, and then everyone just bashed me for weeks, saying like, How could you say this guy was a good defender? He's horrible, and he was horrible, but he was pretty solid in Milwaukee too. So if you get back to that form. That's just going to help him, A, stay on the court longer, and B, you're probably going to get better numbers in the box score too. Absolutely. Now, let's move on to the other the other guy in the backcourt that we, we need to talk about, and that is, of course, Eric Bledsoe. He suffered another meniscus injury last season, and I've been pretty adamant about speaking about Bledsoe with the with the meniscus injury because it's not the same meniscus injury that he had previously. It's a, it's a different knee. So people are, oh, knee problems again. And yes, knee problems again. It's not great, but it is a different injury. It's a completely different injury. And the last meniscus surgery he had, he came back and played 81 games the next season. So it's not like it really impacted him all that much moving forward. Can you give give me some confidence in, in my thoughts on Bledsoe and his injury? I mean, the confidence I can give you is that I've been the person to pretty much like you know the meme of the guy at the football game yelling in the guy's ear like that's been me with Bledsoe in regards to like last year he was gonna be right near an all-star spot in the west about two weeks before he got hurt and then that's when the team had a real downfall he gets hurt in a home loss to the Sixers the Sixers improved to two and 30 so if you want to talk about like the downfall of the season, that was pretty much the day. But about two weeks before that, he was putting up all-star numbers. You're a guy that knows the numbers, so oh, he, you'll see. He was putting up they crazy numbers, top 20 and fantasy numbers. When they won 48 games to uh, two seasons before that, uh, when Dragic and him were kind of sharing the time load, he was putting up all-star numbers then too. So this is a guy two of the last three seasons has put up all-star numbers, and it's just been ended by uh, injuries both times. And I really believe that's the player we're going to get again this year. Now, in terms of confidence with him not getting hurt, it's hard to say. I was in the camp of him just being healthy and getting past it last season, and then he got hurt again. So when you have two major injuries like that so soon next to each other, it's hard to instill confidence in betting on him to last the entire season. But the good news is it's worth the gamble for me because of the way he has played. Uh, he's just a very good player that I think has gotten so underrated by uh, what has happened, at, like Goran Dragic getting traded, Isaiah Thomas getting traded. Everyone talks about all the Suns backcourt members except Bledsoe, uh, and I think I think he's just a great player. Yeah, look, he's had two top 20 fantasy seasons in a row, two, three top 30 fantasy seasons in a row. He he averaged 24 and 6 with two steals, one and a half threes, and over half a block on 45 and 80, shooting 37% from three. Like They're ridiculously good numbers, and you don't have to take him in the second round because of the injury concern. 
His ADP sits at about 30 on both Yahoo and ESPN, but people are going to be even more weary of him, and I reckon that you can get him potentially at the end of the third round. And if you do that, yeah, look, there's a concern, but the the payoff from it is pretty significant. And if you've taken a couple of guys earlier who aren't really injury risk, but I do say this all the time as well, Cullen, is that everybody's not an injury risk until they are an injury risk, like Chris Middleton. Mm-hmm. They didn't doesn't miss a game, and now he's out for six months. Like You're not injury prone until you are. So any injury can happen to anybody, and the same thing can happen to a guy that you know, misses a lot of games, like Bledsoe did last season and played every game, or Chris Paul, who's played basically every game for the last two years. They're injury, so or Steph Curry, they're injury prone then until they're not as well. So things can change. It is a worry, but it is the opposite knee. It wasn't a re-injury of something previously. He came back super strong from at the time before and turned in a top 20 season. So I am I am pretty confident. And if he's available in the 40s, then I'm loving it because he's, oh, yeah. the, he's the main part of this team. He's a massive scorer and he was putting up just... And all you had to do was watch him last season to just see... Yeah, this guy's legit. Like this guy's putting up really, really good numbers. He's putting up great play. He's carrying this team, and you know I think we can expect more of that this season. He, him, and and, and he's going to get a chance to work with Booker, which he didn't before, and you know, just get an extra offensive threat there with him as well. So you know, potentially less stress on him in terms of carrying things offensively. He'll have Knight and and. Booker as, as two options that might help improve his efficiency some as well. Maybe he gets his assists up to over seven a game, which is I don't think that's a crazy assumption to think that he could actually bump those up that high. But there's lots to be excited about with Eric Bledsoe. And I'm, I'm one of the bigger Eric Bledsoe fans, and he can be obtained at a discount in uh, in drafts coming up this season. Now the guy that I am a big fan of, Callan, and I get quite confused about it a little bit, and that's Alex Len. Now Alex Len. We You're know, telling me. We, we know what he is. Like he's he, he's big. He's seven feet tall. I needed to get that in there as well. <laughs> but he was used horribly last season. He was he was used disgustingly, and it's given a negative connotation towards him because he came out there. He took a lot of shots. He played the four. And everyone's like, oh, how can you be a seven-footer and shoot such a poor percentage? How can you be seven-foot tall and not block any shots? And my response is, because the coach is playing him on the perimeter, and it's just not what he does. So, Alex Lynn, will he... He's not going to play the four. I think we can we can understand that, given they brought in three extra fours this season. Yeah, thank God. Is he going to be the guy who gets the bulk of the minutes at center, or will Tyson Chandler's corpse go out there and split the minutes with him? Oh, shouts. Uh, shouts to Tyson. <laughs> I love Tyson. Uh, I think he's still going to take less minutes uh, than Tyson. I still see Tyson playing a very prominent role in the team this season. Okay. Uh, the tightest guy Watson is with is probably Tyson. Yeah, that's the concern. Tyson is the guy who drove the train in terms of uh, we need to hire him back again and bring him back. Him and like Mirza were the two guys that were really out there for Watson and bringing him back. Uh, and Tyson, I mean... Man, he looked like he lost, like, you talk about losing half a step, he looked like he lost three. Uh, he he was not the, man, I watched so much film of him in Dallas the year before, and I was like, this guy's going to be so good with Bledsoe. And it's just like he lost all those steps. They can't throw the lob to him. Uh, but as far as Alex goes, he is proven that he is injury prone. He is going to get nicked up with something it just always happens and he has not been consistent he is extremely inconsistent in fact and it's come with trying to establish his skills on the perimeter because like the appeal of him as a top five pick at center was that he can sit on the elbow 
hit that jumper and make really good passes from that spot as well. Just to kind of what Steven Adams has done, but much, much less even is what they were looking for. And they can't even get that out of him. Uh, so it, it turned into this thing where at the end of last season, they tried to have him be the number one option in the post. And I'm sure as you saw by the numbers, they were Terrible. not very good. Yeah. Uh, so I, man, in terms of a fantasy option, it's really hard to see him even in like a stash situation when you're looking to hold on to him because his restricted free agency is coming up. Uh, it's hard to say if they're gonna, I think they're going to resign him just based on him being an asset and them having the cap room. But they have Tyson for two more years, and he has not proven to be worthy of a humongous extension so far. Alex has, but maybe they're still hopeful on his potential. There's so many factors there with his play, with Tyson, with the contract that are make it tough to rely on him. He, after the All-Star break, Len shot 39% from the field and blocked <laughs> it was horrible. 0.6 yeah, it shots. Was We're talking point guard numbers here. Like That's how bad it was. But the season before, he blocked... One and a half shots in 22 minutes and shot 51%. And that's the difference between him being force-fed the ball in a role that he's not used to, in a position he's not used to, versus just playing in its center, you know, dump-offs, alley-oops, you know, really close sort of work and finishing and playing that defense under the basket, not trying to go out and guard stretch force which he, he clearly is not up for. Now, I still have a, a lot of faith in him. You talked about the injuries. He actually played 78 games last season, so that's a huge win for him. He was healthy all through the season, so that's obviously a huge start, only missing four games. The season before, he played 69 games, so that's not great, but it's also not terrible. So he, he's starting to get over that sort of thing, I think. I've got pretty high. I've got much higher hopes than for Len than what you do, but you watch the team a little bit more than me. But I still believe in him. I think he's still worth a, a late-round pick in fantasy because if they give him 30 minutes and, and it's at center, which seems a real stretch at this point. But if they do, then I think he's got top 100 upside there. But getting to 30 minutes is probably going to be the hard part with Chandler there. Now, something you mentioned about Chandler, how he was the one driving the train for Earl Watson, which is exactly the case. I want to get your take on that because to me, it seemed like the absolute wrong way that you want to go about hiring a coach. The whole process of hiring Earl Watson this season seemed wrong to me. The fact that you don't even really interview anyone else, let's just bring the guy back who honestly was horrible to end last season, that made decisions that didn't seem to make a huge amount of sense, like the Len Chandler combo. A lot of stuff that he, yes, he tried stuff, but then it didn't work and he, he kept persisting with it. And the whole process of hiring Earl Watson just seemed weird to me, and I think there's a, a realistic chance that he's the worst coach in the NBA. You, it, as a Suns it, person, how do you view it? it? It feels like I like like I washed off a scar somehow, and it's starting to reappear <laughs> on my body when you bring it up. Because man, it, when like so like Jaeger was on the market, Tibbs was on the market. Yep. There were a lot of good. Scott Brooks was on the market, and they just hired Watson like everyone else was going to be interested. Like they hired him right away and every everyone was like, Why why would they do that? Why would they not take their time? And I think it is something it, it is something where they're saying to the players, All right, here's your coach. Now go win games. I I don't have the exact quote, but I remember McDonough saying something today where I believe he used the word accountable when talking about the players and like them reaching out for Watson. I think he said he said something along the lines of like, We're gonna hold players accountable because that you have your coach. Now you need to go out there and start winning games. Now, I, I don't think he expects playoffs. I don't think he expects 45, 40 wins, anything like that. But seeing improvement, unlike we have for the past two seasons, is something I think he wants to see now and then bringing back Watson. 
Uh, but yeah, that it was a really mystifying decision when the entire locker room came out for him. It wasn't surprising, but at the same time, this is a guy who played, God, I was one of the biggest proponents of this on Twitter. I think Devin Booker averaged somewhere between like 35 and 37 minutes in the last month or two of the yep. season. And why on earth? I know he has young legs and everything, but why on earth is like the prized possession of the franchise playing that many minutes in useless basketball games like that? Not useless because he should play and he should get experience, but he doesn't need to be playing when you're down 20 in the fourth quarter with eight minutes left. It's time to take him out of the game. And then he, uh, Archie Goodwin was actually a guy who got a lot of minutes in the middle of the season when Ronnie Price and other guards were hurt. And then when Ronnie Price came back, he gave those minutes back to Price when this team was far out of the playoff that race. That made no sense. They had nothing to play for at all except watson's job <laughs> yep. so i think that's why price played and i i love earl watson as a person and i think that he could actually be a very good head coach because in terms of having the locker rooms saying the right things not to the media but just in terms of like a philosophy around a basketball team if you listen to him talk he knows what he's doing it's just going to come down to the x's and o's part for him uh but I'm, I'm very high on his stock as a coach and i've actually gotten to be okay with the move but the whole process like you said was not very well executed now, one thing that you mentioned there about you know, he, he played Price to keep his job, to me that is a complete failing in the managerial system in Phoenix and, mm-hmm. and across the NBA because there's two things about it. They lost anyway. So they lost you know, just game after game after game with Ronnie Price in there, and he got the job anyway. So the wins, like he didn't get wins to get him to the job, and that should be a communication between the management and the coach saying, you know, You've got 20 games here you know, to, to audition. It's not going to be judged on wins or losses. We want to build this thing for the future. Let's develop a system. Let's develop some players. Let's develop something with these guys because 35-year-old Ronnie Price, who should have been out of the league three years ago, he's not going to be a part of it. Let's get these younger guys in. Let's see how you work with guys that if you actually get the job, you, you will be working with, like Goodwin, you'll be developing him, like Booker. Let's see how they work rather than being feel like he's under pressure. That's a, a communication issue to me where Watson goes, I need to play these old guys because I need to win games to get my job. When in fact, he lost games and still got the job. So there's just yeah, there's a complete to, communication issue to me. To give credit to Ronnie, he actually played really well last no, year. And that kind of tells you how bad it was last yeah. year that Ronnie was one of the best players on the team. But he really was, honestly, in terms of a consistent energy presence on defense he was arguably one of the best on the team, which kind of tells you that being a plus and that being the first thing I mentioned, again, a sign of how bad it was last year. But he actually shot the ball really well for the first time in his career after being one of the worst shooters in the league every year, pretty much from what I remember. Yep. Uh, yeah, he was terrible. He was a guy like if Earl was trying to win games, he needed to play Ronnie Price, and that's exactly what he was doing. But uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with September call-ups in baseball, but yep. that's sort of the philosophy you should have when you're out of the playoff race by a substantial margin and there's 15 games left. Now it's time to get a look at what could come next year. Archie is a restricted free agent this year, and we haven't seen – last year was the first sign of like him developing point guard skills when we were starting to see some of it. We're like, all right, let's see how the last month goes. Guess what? We didn't get to find out. And that's something that frustrates a lot of people. And I'm sure – there are a couple people in the front office who have to be frustrated by the lack of a concrete look we've gotten at him, or they've already made their decision on Archie. They told uh, Watson was involved in the dialogue somewhere there, and they just said, like, we've already made up our mind on Archie. There's nothing we can really know from our end. But uh, 
what I'll say is that I, I agree with everything that you've been saying in terms of it wasn't very well executed towards the end of last season and then going into the coaching search or lack thereof, really. The, the Goodwin thing was interesting. Like the, the dude was 21 years old. Like he's, I know he's been in the system for three years, but he's super young. Like He's just ridiculously young, and he finally got an, a shot at extended minutes. He played big minutes as a point guard, which is not something he'd really ever done before, and he wasn't a complete disaster. Yeah, you know, his shooting's really poor. Like He shot 23% team- from three. The team went like four and twenty-five during that stretch, but honestly, that team was going to go four and twenty-five during that stretch with whoever you were going to put in there off the bench, and he did play well, like you said. I thought he was a developing. Like his passing yep. looked better, his scoring looked better. He's obviously athletic; you know, he can get to the rim, and it was starting to go, okay, cool. And then he came back from being the starting point guard who was playing thirty-five, thirty-six minutes a night at times, and then he would go down and play five minutes and ten minutes, and just be okay. Well, he's not going to be a point guard ever again is basically what Earl Watson said we're going to play him as the third string shooting guard and it was okay that that's a bit of a weird decision so he's at a real crossroads um who knows what they do with him he's not going to have much of an impact this season with all these other guards they've got in place but I thought it was just a a weird a weird move on uh, on their behalf the last guy I really want to talk about is is Alan Williams who I thought looked pretty decent now he's an undersized center but he's he's quite a good rebounder um, Phenomenal looked, rebounder, looked, yeah. Especially for his look. When when the Suns trotted out their summer league lineup, they had Bender at the three, they had Chris at the four, and they had Williams at the five. And Williams was the shortest of those three guys. He was he's not he's six nine maybe maybe that might be even pushing it, but just really wide, super strong. And I thought he showed a fair bit last season. What did you make of of him in terms of can he develop into a, a solid backup big at some point? I think if you're talking about a, oh, what was his name? His first name, last name was Evans. He played Reggie Evans, I yeah. believe. He played for years. Uh, Mr. Nutshot. Monster rebound. <laughs> well, the one and only. Uh, <laughs> you want to talk about a super productive rebounder who is out there to literally rebound, and that's it. Uh, that could be Alan Williams to me. I don't have his stats in front of me from college, but he was a ridiculous, like, 25 and 10, 20 and 13. Like, he had insane stats in college when he went to play overseas he had insane stats when he's played in the d-league he had insane stats so he's always been productive and deserves to get a look and this team is he's the third string center right now and they have a bunch of rookies at power forward so if they're looking at besides dudley of course so if they're looking for someone to turn to when an injury occurs williams could be that guy and if you want to talk about a super duper flyer i i think he does qualify just for the rebounding alone yeah, look, his ability in 25 minutes to get eight rebounds is something that he can obviously do in that situation. So he's a name to watch for in deeper sort of formats, especially if Chandler gets some sort of an injury, then he's going to be forced into an 18, 20-minute role as that backup five. So he'd be an interesting guy to, to take a look at. Callan, what's your bold prediction for this team? Oh, my gosh. My bold prediction for the team. Uh, my bold prediction for the team is that Knight is going to start Okay. The first game of the regular season. I, I agree with that. And Booker is going to start the last game of the season. <laughs> like I, I don't know what's going to happen between now and the last game of the season, but there's going to be too much evidence in front of us that Knight isn't the starting shooting guard. And I believe the Suns, the Suns could already be at that point right now where they believe Booker is the guy, but I just think there's going to be an adjustment from Knight is a future all-star he and Bledsoe are a future duo going forward to 
Booker is the face of the franchise. Why is he coming off the bench? He's starting. Yeah, I think that so. makes that makes complete sense. I, I think that Knight does open the season starting, but it, it won't last that way. Um, regardless, they're all going to get their thirty minutes. I think that's definitely something that it's going to uh, that's going to happen. They're going to be an interesting team to watch this season, Phoenix, just to see how Booker develops, to see you know, see Bender on the court, to see Chris to see Eulis, to see Bledsoe returning. There's going to be lots of intrigue to see how Warren transitions potentially into a bigger role as well. Lots to really look at with the Phoenix Suns. I'm going to be looking at it, but you're going to be looking at it a lot in depth on Locked On Suns. So everybody make sure you're checking out Locked On Suns once that first episode is released. So Callan, remind everybody of your Twitter handle and uh, where they can find out the Locked On Suns Twitter information. All right, so I am at Kellen Olson. That's K-E-L-L-A-N-O-L-S-O-N. And Locked On Suns is at Locked On PHX Suns, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, PHX S-U-N-S. Like I said, former NBA player Eddie House. I've gotten a chance to talk to Eddie a couple of times. Super insightful guy. Can't wait to get uh, the podcast started with him, and I'm really looking forward to everyone being able to listen. Yep, definitely check that out once it comes out. And once it does, head across to iTunes and leave a five-star review for both uh, Kellen and Eddie's show and for this uh, this podcast as well. It would be fantastic if you guys could spend a couple of minutes just to leave a five-star review. We are getting to the end of the season preview podcast. Now we're heading into fantasy draft season coming up. So stay tuned. There's going to be lots of stuff coming, as you've probably seen. Lots of uh, We're going to have the Power Forward Tears podcast coming later this week. Lots of stuff happening. Check out Basketball Monster as well for all the uh, information over there, all our uh, projections and articles. Everything's happening over at Basketball Monster. Thank you, Callan, for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. See ya.